This is Glenn Turner, host of Thinking Through the Bible, a weekly podcast committed to a no-nonsense approach to solid Bible teaching. We invite you to join us in this endeavor to discuss and think our way through the great principles and teachings of Scripture. I hope you will join us every week at this same time. Maybe even set a reminder on your devices so you won't miss any of our programming. We've designed this podcast to teach, inspire, and motivate you to move forward in the faith and to grow spiritually. I hope you will find this to be the case in your life. If you're in a position where you can take notes, I want to encourage you to do that. You can begin to build yourself a small resource that you can review and reflect upon from time to time. I want to welcome you to today's podcast, and having said that, let's get right into today's teaching, coming to you straight from the Bible. Hi, this is Glenn. I want to welcome you to today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in and um, listening in and, and sharing some time together. I want to begin by asking you a question. How do you know the Bible is true and Secondly, why is that important? If someone came to you and asked you that question, what would your response be? Uh, I can tell you that your answer should involve more than just, well, the preacher said so, or I was raised in a Christian home and my parents just always assumed and we believed that it was, or, well, my grandparents told me it was. We're going to address this question in a two-part presentation uh, beginning today, and we'll finish it up, this this particular uh, aspect of it, next week. Uh, and we're going to take a, a pretty deep dive into this issue. Um, I'm going to ask you to let's do this together. Stay with me. There's going to require some thought on our part and uh, uh, probably stretching ourselves into some ways and areas that spiritually and, and, and intellectually that we may not have had the chance to do before. Uh, but stay with me. We're going to do this. We're going to be better for it. And I hope that we're going to have a greater understanding of truth by the time we get through uh, this week and next week. When we were last together, uh, we set the direction for where we intended to take the future episodes of this podcast. We stated that the primary objective of our podcast is to teach the Bible. That is the highest and uh, biggest idea behind anything I'm doing here. We, I just want to teach the Bible to you. I'm not from academia. I don't have uh, credentials to, to tout to you, but what I do have is just a passion for uh, the Bible and a passion to communicate it, and I want to try in the best way that I can to do that to you. I don't expect uh, any great audiences here. Just if it's just my three children who will listen to this and benefit from it, then, well, I feel like maybe I've done something profitable uh, with some time and uh, hopefully would be beneficial to them. If someone beyond that can get anything out of this, that's great. I'm so happy and, and I want to hear about it and and let's sit down and talk about it sometime. But our, our purpose is to teach the Bible. I, I want to share what I can with you in uh, having learned and, and continuing to learn uh, through study and, and, and spending time reading it. Uh, overall, what we are beginning to do is start the process 
uh, sharing with you the process of communication. So overall, we're going to teach the Bible, but if you want to narrow it down a little closer, we're going to going to begin uh, by addressing this issue of the process of communication. How did we get the Bible? How did it come into our hands? How did we end up uh, with this book? Have you ever placed any thought into it? I mean, think about it. The Bible, it, 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 it's not set in history in America. It's not... I know there's one faith that believes that it partially was. I'm telling you, it was not. Uh, the setting of the Bible, the history of the Bible, it's, it's not set in America. It's a, it's a book that uh, deals with another culture entirely, completely different from, one, from one, the one we live in, uh, with another people of a different faith, completely different from what many Americans uh, believe, probably what most of you who are listening to this podcast believe. And so when you think about it, how did that book come from thousands of miles away in another culture dealing with another uh, group of people from thousands of years ago, and it's ended up in our hands today and holds the place that it does uh, in, in, our, in our culture? I gave you some statistics last week, and I, I want to tell you this. Statistics, you can look some of them up and find differing statistics from what I had shared with you about the number of Bibles in print, the number of Bibles um, owned by Americans, that type thing. St- statistics can be manipulated, and and um, we understand that, and I want you to know that. That's That, that was some... Uh, information I wanted to give to you to help you understand the, the, the vast volume of Bibles that have been printed and um, the research that I had done, some of it was uh, I gave to you last week, and I gave it to you on the conservative side. Uh, you can read some statistics that will give you quite a bit more in number. Uh, so we're talking about the Bible. It's it, why it's true and, and why that is important. And this process of communication as to how it came to us, how did you even get an English Bible that was written in Greek and Hebrew? I mean, where, does, where did this process come down? How did it come down to us? These are the questions we're going to answer in all of this. Uh, and it's not just a mere intellectual study. There is a powerful spiritual truth here uh, that's very relevant uh, for your life and mine in our culture. So we're going to teach the Bible as best we can uh, because the Bible is the source of truth for everyone, everywhere, all the time. The Bible is God's instruction manual on how we are to live life. The Bible, when you read it, It leads the way in showing us how to care for the poor, how to care for the widow, and how to care for the sick. The Bible shows us God's plan and His order for family relationships. The Bible shows us that God is the designer of the family, and He has an order for family. The Bible instructs us on how to teach and train and discipline our children Proverbs chapter 13, Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs 29, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Colossians chapter 3. These are just some of the scriptures that deal with the idea of teaching, training, disciplining, and nurturing our children. 
The Bible teaches us how to manage money. The Bible addresses any number of topics, subjects that are relevant to your life and mine. I would dare say that whatever concern is on your heart as you're listening to this right now, whatever concern you have in your life, you name it, speak it out right now, say it, whatever it is, whatever you just said, there's an answer in the Bible to that. God has an answer for that concern in your life. And so that's why we're teaching the Bible, because I believe that the searching of your, of your life, the searching of my life, the answer to those questions we have and concerns, there is an answer, first of all, and that answer is in the Bible, God's Word. Second purpose of our podcast uh, is to plainly make the case to you that the Bible is, number one, God's communication to humanity. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says that God, who at various times and in various manners spoke to the prophets of old, God spoke to men in the Bible, throughout the, the recording of the Bible, he spoke to people in various ways and at various times he spoke to them. That's his communication to humanity. Now, God is, is we're going to talk about this next week, this particular statement I'm about to make. God is not speaking today to people in the same sense that he was speaking to people uh, whenever the Bible was being recorded. I know there's some of you, probably some of my Pentecostal charismatic friends, you're going to want to debate that issue a little bit. I'll be glad to get into it, but I think I can sway you because I want to help shape and build your theology into a solid foundation so that it can't be shaken by arguments that may be a little better equipped than what yours may be. My point is, is that God is speaking to humanity, and He does that through His Word, His Word, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. And so that purpose being to mainly, plainly make the case that God's communication to humanity is through His Word, the Bible. And then it is to serve as, write this down, a primary influence in two areas of our life, privately as well as publicly. So I just gave you some scriptures uh, on how the Bible teaches us to uh, handle the relationships with our children, teaching, training, uh, disciplining our children. Uh, that's a private sense. So the Bible speaks to the private issues of our life. It speaks to personal issues. Uh, and family relationships. But the Bible is just more than that. And I want to stress this point because of some of the comments we're going to be making here in a few moments. We live in a culture where we are, as Christians are quickly told, take your Bible, sit down, and be quiet. And that's just not what God has intended for His Word. His Word is not just for the inside four walls of your home and no further. It's for the public arena. The public arena in civil places and in civil matters, in, in governmental manners, matters. Uh, each of us are born with specific genes within our DNA, and that contributes to who we are as individuals. It makes us uh, Glenn, and it makes you whoever you are. 
But in another sense, we are born, and here's the important phrase I want you to remember. We are born a blank slate. John Locke, a 17th century philosopher, first proposed uh, this idea of a blank slate in 1689 in one of his writings entitled An Essay Concerning Human Understanding. He concluded that when we are born, our minds are a blank slate and we only gain knowledge through sensory perception or what our five senses can reveal to us. In other words, through our, our, our experience. So Locke believed that knowledge was gained through experience. The seeing, the feeling, the tasting, the smelling, the touching. This is how we learn. John, John Locke is a name I encourage you to be familiar with and remember because he was one of the great thinkers of his day and was certainly one from which John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and George Washington and Ben Franklin and other founding fathers shaped their own ideas. And these are the great men, among others, that gave us two of the greatest documents that have ever been written outside of the Bible the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of the United States. In Locke's writings, he insisted upon a separation of powers. He emphasized the importance of a legislative body that passes laws based on the consent of the majority. In our form of government, our Republican form of government, is heavily influenced by Locke's philosophy. You can see that just in the way that our government is shaped and fashioned, exactly as I just explained. Locke's separation of powers and uh, a legislative body based upon the consent of the majority. A notable modern British philosopher who recently passed away within the last couple of years uh, said of Locke that John Locke was probably the most influential philosopher since Aristotle and Aristotle lived somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,300 years ago. Another writer has said that Locke should be included as a founding father as much as Jefferson, Madison, or any others uh, that are referred to as founding fathers because of Locke's influence upon their ideas and thought processes. In a Notre Dame Philosophical Review, one author says that Locke's writings present an idea of basic human equality grounded, listen, in Christian theism. And that this idea is a working premise of his whole political theory whose influence can be detected in his arguments about property, family, slavery, government, politics, and toleration. An influential thinker, Locke was, with profound impact upon our republic. As I stated earlier, Locke was the first to introduce this idea of a blank slate. And researchers today debate, but can't seem to agree uh, whether experience, which is Locke's philosophy, or genetics has a greater degree of influence upon behavior. Some psychology tells us today that we are who we are at birth due to our genetic makeup And nothing can change that. I don't disagree with that. I'm not intelligent enough to disagree with that. But I do think, based upon my own limited understanding and reading, I do think that maybe the thought is taken too far. 
about our genetic makeup. Some say, well, maybe my parents were alcoholics and I'm genetically predisposed to be an alcoholic, therefore I'm destined to be an alcoholic. Someone may say my parents were addicted to drugs and, you know, I have no hope, therefore I'm destined to be a drug addict. I say this because I want to challenge that idea. I do not agree with that logic and that form of thought. And if science pushes that idea, I, I beg to differ to some degree, only in a spiritual way, because I believe that that is not the case and the destiny for people who want better in their life. I wish this message could be sent and told and heralded from the highest rooftops and the lowest places in cities across our country. I was reading a headline in a news article just a couple of days ago, two to three days ago, and it was talking about the number of people killed over one weekend in Chicago, and it was a numerous number of people, and others were injured. It's not the guns that are killing people. It's the people with a heart condition called sin that is killing people. There's a greater hope in this world than this portrait of desperation. What we're talking about is the relevance of God's Word being true in our lives. Why is it important or even relevant that God's Word is true? This is why. It's because of the message that is being given in our culture today that is killing the hope and the future of a generation that is coming up in our country today. Why is it important? Because... The power of God's Word to influence behavior is a message that people need to know and they need to hear. They need to know that the power of God's Word can influence them in a personal sense, at a personal level, at the primary source of influence. Listen to what I'm saying to you from Scripture here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I, the Bible, we talk about bedtime stories. Let me tell you what the writer of Deuteronomy is proposing here. That you have a story in the evening when you sit down in your house. That you have a story to tell your children about the faithfulness and the power of God when you walk down the street with them. That you have a story to tell them at bedtime when they lie down. And that you have a story to share with them about the power and love of Christ when you rise up. That's the message of the Bible. That's, that's what God is saying through His Word to us as parents that you need to teach and drill into your children the teachings of the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that you can influence your children by the environment in which you raise them in and the experiences to which you expose them to. You can influence your children by what you say to them and what you do with them.
The Bible teaches us that. It tells us that to invest that time, invest that teaching within our children. Parents, listen, you can't tell your children Bible truth if you don't know Bible truth yourself. You have to learn it so you can teach it. You have to learn it. God has made you responsible and me responsible for the teaching of our children, not the Sunday school teacher at church or the pastor at church. That's our responsibility. The Bible is clear that we should be using God's Word to influence our children in our home. And I want to say to you, do not lose hope when science tells you that you're nothing more than just a victim of your DNA and your behaviors are destined for failure and you'll never be anything more than what your parents were. That is not true. There is hope in this life because the Bible is true and His Word says that God can make changes in people's lives. His Word is for our instruction and for our teaching and for our training. So the Bible is the primary influence, should be the primary influence in our personal life in a personal sense, but it should also be a primary influence in the public sense as well, the public discourse. Primary source of influence in a public sense. Well, Glenn, have you not heard? I, you, you've probably never heard, Glenn, of the separation of church and state. Actually, I have. <clears throat> I've done some reading on it. Uh, it's called an Establishment Clause, and it was actually included in the Bill of Rights because some of the Baptists of the time and some of the other uh, believers of the time during the Constitution, of the writing of the Constitution, were concerned that the state, the government, that the state would impose upon them a religion that they did not want to practice. And so this clause was placed into the Bill of Rights not to tell you to sit down and be quiet and keep your Bible out of the public discourse. This establishment clause was actually placed into the Bill of Rights to tell the government to stay out of our business when it comes to our faith. You have no right to speak to us and tell us when and where we can speak to the issues of faith. You see, the, the Constitution itself is not a document telling people how they have to be restrained. The Constitution is to be read in the, in, the, in the form in which it was written, which is a restriction upon a tyrannical government putting it in its place, telling it to stay still and back off, not telling you the citizen to back off. So I go back to my point. In a public sense, the primary source of influence in a believer's life should be the Word of God. So in the public platform, tell it, speak it. Let the Word of God influence your public discourse. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus was speaking to his apostles uh, before he ascended back into heaven. And he said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mandate of Jesus to the apostles was to take his teachings to the nations of the world and make disciples of the nations of the world and baptize the nations of the world and teach the nations of the world 
uh, the message and the ways of Jesus himself. Jesus was a proponent of bringing the nations of the world into alignment with his life and teachings, bringing the nations of the world into alignment with the truth of his word. If Jesus believed that and he was a proponent of that, why should we not be the same? Should we not be a proponent of teaching, of, of, of baptizing, bringing people into alignment with the truth of God's Word? We bear that responsibility. Sadly, many in our civil leadership today do not believe the same. Our time is quickly running out, but I may have to go a few minutes longer this week because I've got to get this information to you. One of our former presidents who... Instead of drifting off into the sunset after his presidency, he remains a very vocal figure. Intentionally or not, his position on Bible and politics is helping to, I believe, erode the Judeo-Christian values, uh, which is the foundation of America. Let me share a quote with you that comes from a speech that he gave in Washington, D.C. before he became president. I've not called his name. I don't intend to because it's not a personal thing. I'm battling ideas here, not people. And so I want to speak to the issue of the idea. In 2006, a senator uh, stood and, and gave a speech on faith and politics at a call to renewals, building, listen to this, building a covenant for a new America. That ought to tell you something right there. But listen to this quote. Democracy demands that the religiously motivated translate their concerns into universal rather than religion-specific values. It requires that their proposals be subject to argument and amenable to reason. I may be opposed, he says, to abortion for religious reasons, but if I seek to pass a law banning the practice, I cannot simply point to the teachings of my church or evoke God's will I have to explain why abortion violates some principle that is accessible to all people of all faiths, including those with no faith at all. One of the ideas of thought that has taken root in philosophy is moral relativism. Modern day uh, moral relativism is credited to and rooted in the philosophy of a British philosopher named David Hume, who lived from 1711 to 1776. The conservative philosophers of his time considered his views to be uh, skeptical, and he believed, they believed his thought tended to support atheistic ideas. Hume denied the, the, that morality has an objective standard. His philosophy denies that morality has an objective standard. What's an objective standard? It's a standard outside of the box that you can look at and is true, and it is the standard. That's just a loose working definition for our purpose right now. In other words, an objective standard is not limited to your view or my view or someone else's view. It's the standard. It's true on its own. Now, with that Having been said, listen to this portion of that quote again from one of our former presidents. Democracy demands that the religiously motivated translate their concerns into universal rather than religion-specific values. In this speech, he is proposing that our values in public discourse not be of a biblical worldview, but of moral relativism and of universal values. I cannot find in the Bible 
which is the leading document of our life, the most basic and primary influence in our life, I cannot find in it where it teaches us to have uh, its values in our life, its truth in our life at home, and then leave it at home when we're in our public discourse. But that's exactly what's being proposed here in this speech. Let me ask you, when he refers to universal values, what are they? They may or may not be have an objective standard. Whose universal values? Universal values, I think what he's referring to, is something that's a value to everyone. But that's just the point. What might be valuable to you may not be valuable to me. Well, of course, Glenn, in, in this sense that he's talking about, certainly we can find uh, universal values. Well, can we? Let's look at history a little bit. You, you hear of this moral relativism in the phrase of people making popular today when people say, I'm going to speak my truth. That's exactly what moral relativism is. They're speaking their truth. They're speaking their values. But I can tell you from what I've seen and heard on the news, their values are not mine. As if to say you have a truth or they have a truth, and everyone else has a truth, but there is no individual objective truth. This cannot be. We each do not have a truth con- inclusive to ourself. We each have an opinion, and we're entitled to our opinion, but there is only one truth, and that one truth is the Word of God. Who defines universal values? What's the standard of a universal value that he's referring to in this speech? Is there a book somewhere defining what universal values are? If so, who came up with them, and what are they? Listen to this couple of, a couple of these examples, and I, I think it'll help drive the point home. What if someone says that in their framework of universal values that they decided that an entire race of people needed to be exterminated? Oh, Glenn, that's crazy. Well, it's not crazy. Genocide happens. World War II, there was one of the greatest genocides that's ever taken place because... In someone's universal value, there was a race of people that did not uh, need to live. What if someone determined in their idea of universal values that we are to protect habitats for tadpoles so at least they can have a chance to become fully a frog? And what if in a culture's universal value caused them to put stakes up on a beach and place yellow caution tape around those stakes to protect the unhatched sea turtles within Uh, the yellow tape, but at the same time, that same universal value determines that human life is not sacred enough to protect an unborn child who is vibrantly growing inside a mother's womb. Where's the yellow tape for the mother's womb? Ah, you're getting in somebody's business, Glenn. Uh, Women's bodies belong to them. That's true, and I, I mean no disrespect. I do not speak out of love. I speak in love. But what I'm saying is, is human life is valuable. And this country, leaders, civil leaders in this country have aided in the killing of millions of people, unborn babies, because in their universal value, a child in the womb 
is not valuable. What universal value tells us that sea turtles are more important than unborn babies? Not my universal value. The answer is moral relativism. Moral relativism says that no one is right or wrong and that what's right and wrong is defined by you and you alone and how it pertains to you. That it's nothing more than what's right for you or wrong for you and right for me and wrong for me. We each determine what truth is for our life. There's a standard by which all things are measured, and that standard is the Bible. It is the Word of God. It belongs in our homes. It belongs in our public discourse. It is to be the measure by which all things are measured. Why is it important for you to know that the Bible is true? Because we need to know that there's an unchanging standard to commit our lives to. And that standard is the Word of God. I want you to know, I just call to your attention the statement that Jesus made. And I'll close with this for this week. But when Jesus gave his apostles the instruction to go to all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and, and teach, the last phrase of his statement there, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the world, you have help from above in making his word influential in the public discourse around you. And you have His help in making His Word influential in your personal life. Do not be afraid nor hesitate to take God's Word and put it into application in your personal life or in the public discourse. God desires that and He stands behind you to work in ways that you can't see to bring about a purpose that's important to Him that you may not even be aware of. Be faithful. Do that. Be faithful. And do uh, what God has called you to do, to take His Word to the private places of your life and to the public places of your life. So I close with the same question that we began with. How do you know the Bible is true and why is it important? It's important because our culture is fighting today over truth. And this Religion of moral relativism is trying to push its way into our culture and drive out this Judeo-Christian worldview and values from our culture. We can't let that happen. I challenge you to do your part to keep God's Word in the discourse. I want to thank you for joining us today and being a part of this Call someone. Let them know what's happening, what's going on with our podcast. If you feel like it would be beneficial to someone, I'd certainly appreciate it. Thank you again. I sincerely appreciate your time. We'll see you next week.